SaaS insiders, welcome to this episode of the show. Today, as always, I brought a very special guest with me today. His name is Claudio Fuentes, and he's a co-founder of Nunchat. Claudio, welcome to the show. Vlad, thanks so much for having me. Please, maybe in a couple of sentences, can you explain to the audience what do you do, what's your background, so that they can learn a bit more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So Vlad, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. My career is kind of broken down to two phases. Initially, straight out of high school, I actually went into being a music producer and actually got some success in that. I was able to build a brand with a couple, you know, thousand followers, which got me to tour around the world and kind of like build my brand as a, as a music producer and artist. But underneath that entire kind of uh, journey, I think I definitely got to exercise a lot of the muscles of what it takes to build a brand, what it takes to build a business, make it sustainable, what it takes to launch a product, in my case, music, uh, and bring it to an audience. You know, long story short, that actually got me very hooked into what it's like to build businesses and, and get the ball rolling. So after, you know, I got, I did that for a couple of years, I moved into, into technology, which sounds like a weird move, but it's actually a very natural transition. I launched two startups. I applied a lot of the same lessons on like building brands, engaging people, building product. After doing that for, for, for a bit, I, I went to WeWork and I spent a year there where I got to actually interact with a lot of startups. This was like peak WeWork 2016. And that got me to see like the, the, the future. It got me really engaged and excited about the potential of building a technology company. I also knew that I didn't have the skills to be a great founder yet. And so I started asking the question of like, how can I acquire those skills? I found the product management was a great path towards becoming a great founder that a lot of product managers go on to become unicorn founders. So, you know, I figured out how do I become a product manager? And I did that for three years. And now coming full circle, I finally left my, my product management gig a couple of months ago to go into a full-time founding experience. So I've recently founded Noonshot, which is a, it's a platform that enables non-technical creators to build and launch Web3 experiences. And we're doing that full-time now, right? So uh, definitely kind of like a culmination of, of both of you know, my careers, my product management experience, my founder experience, and just really bringing that you know, full circle now. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm I'm personally very excited about the actual Moonshot company, right? But we might talk about this in a moment. The topic for today, SaaS Insiders, is product market fit framework. A lot of times we see on YouTube videos that say how to find your product market fit, how to do this, how to do that. But a lot of times founders, especially aspiring founders, they struggle to really understand what the product market fit is about and why do we even need that. Claudio, I know you are through your journey right now, and I know you shared with me a couple of minutes ago that you've been through the process. You've made some mistakes. You learned some lessons about the product market fit. Please tell me, at what stage do you think the SaaS companies need to start thinking about product market fit? Really, there's two ways to think about this, Vlad. Number one is product market fit is the number one problem you need to solve from day one, right? You, you have an idea, you start a company. You need to solve for product market fit. Before anything else will happen, before you can you know, fundraise again, before you can start growing, you need to figure out the mechanics of how you solve an actual customer problem and validate that with actual customers in order to get the ball rolling. So I would say number one is from the get-go, right? Like day one, your priority should be like achieving product market fit. Before you think about growth, before you think about the next phases of your company, it's, it's all about product market fit. The second thing that I've seen in my experience has been really, if you're part of a larger company or a more mature company and you're launching a new product offering, again, you shift gears into like, how do we validate product market fit for this specific product, right? It might not be our core business, but just because you're launching something new does not guarantee success. We still need to validate that. We still need to go through the motions of like getting in in front of people, launching, iterating, figure out where our assumptions are wrong, and then tweaking those and iterating those until we figure out something that sticks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sass Insiders, want to pay your attention here. Claudio is saying we need to do that from day one. 
it's the first problem we need to solve. I'm curious to hear your experience, your opinion that I've seen a lot of companies, especially in 2021, there was a boom. They were fundraising even pre-product market fit, pre-revenue. I'm curious to know, like, what do you think happens to a business like this usually when they skip the product market fit discovery and go straight to implementation or fundraising? Well, let, let's, be, let's be clear. You still need to be able to operate for some time before you're able to achieve product market fit, right? So it's 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 okay to raise a, a pre-seed. It's okay to sometimes raise a seed in your journey towards finding product market fit. But that does not take away from the fact that that should be your goal, right? Even as you speak to ambassadors, you can say, you know, we're pre-product market fit, but that's our objective. Like all we're doing is we're focusing our entire attention into figure out something that works. So there's really kind of like two phases in a company, product market fit search. And then once you mm -hmm. figure out the mechanics of how that works, it's really all about optimizing that engine and then fueling growth, right? So again, I think the market will tell you what the market is willing to accept. If the market is willing to fund you to find product market fit, great, right? You're able to raise money. You're able to, to focus on that full time, perhaps hire a small team and just focus on that. But sometimes the market, especially in certain industries, is a little bit more difficult, right? Where you need a little bit more evidence that what you have already has sort of like the, the right signals for having hmm. the right product market fit. At the end of the day, it really comes out to the market, right? Like talking to investors, engaging them, telling them your story, telling them what you've discovered and, and seeing if there's an opportunity right now to get funded or not. But the goal remains, product market fit is, is really the, should be the, the center focus. Got it. Got it. So it, it, it makes sense to make a small funding route in the beginning just to get that cash so you can burn through it and before you can establish the market fit. So it doesn't make sense to raise some crazy, crazy amount of rounds, but the small ones is, is still okay to do, right? Yeah, I mean, like that's what we've done at, at Noonshot. We raised uh, a pre-seed that allowed us to, to basically get our way through over the course of like about eight months in our journey towards product market fit. Just to give you a sense of what that really looks like, we've actually launched three times, right? We built three entire platforms to kind of test the market, right? And like, like see how do people respond? Are we actually solving a problem for them? One thing that, that I think happens very frequently is founders come into starting their startup with an idea of, you know, here's what I think the world needs. And a lot of their journey really comes down to like, you know, actualizing that vision. But in fact, most of the time you're wrong. Most of the time, like you actually don't know what people want. The idea that we started Noonshot with eight months ago is completely different to what we're working on right now. So what I would pay more attention to is, is how do you go from your initial hypothesis of what your startup should be towards something that's verified, something that you can actually measure, that you can feel the pulse that's actually working. And that might be very different, right? That might be very different than, than when you started. So that open-mindedness, and that curiosity about discovering and iterating towards something that works, that's what product market fit looks like. And that's what, what I think founders should focus on. Got it. Speaking of open-mindedness, Claudio, I see sometimes founders get too attached to their like initial idea, like almost like their baby, if you know what I'm talking about. Like they, they had this beautiful idea to launch and then they just refused to pivot before because they just get too attached to it. They see the obvious way to find additional routes to find this product market fit by their reviews. What do you think kind of reasoning should go through your mind to always stay open-minded? Well, it really comes down to like, I mean, look, when, when I hear these words from you, Vlad, um, I just remember back my, my first experiences as, as a founder, you know, years ago. And I mm -hmm. think initially I made all those mistakes myself. Like you have an idea, you think the world just, if only the world could, could understand what's in my head, if only we could deliver this grand vision to the world, like only then like we'll be able to like actually actualize our value. At the end of the day, like you end up wasting a lot of time. And the reason for that is like the truth and the market is a lot more nuanced than your vision, right? Things work very differently than what you might have in your head. And the only way to figure out what actually works is through launching something and getting it out in the world and like, like actually measuring the impact of your product. 
sometimes you might hear the stories of, you know, successful founders that got lucky from day one. You know, you hear Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook. You hear about, you know, Steve Jobs and the iPhone. And perhaps like, I think it creates this false perception that a lot of the great companies come from like a stroke of genius. The fact that matters if you actually dig through the evidence, you find that a lot of these companies, even they required a lot of iteration, right? You just don't hear about that story. You hear about the end result. So I think it's important as a founder to recognize the truth about what it takes to, to build great products. And it really just takes an extraordinary amount of resilience and patience and open-mindedness in terms of like launching something and building. And one question that I would ask founders is to really kind of like consult with themselves. Like, what are you really in, into this for? Do you want to be successful and build a solution that actually helps people? Or are you just in it to build your vision? Like, what's more important to you? Because most of the time, just building your vision, it's more for you. It's not really as a service to other people. So shifting your mindset towards how do I put myself as a catalyst of value? How do I become a vessel towards helping the world progress? and helping solve people's problems, that's really a better framework for just being at the service of those who you're trying to serve, your customers, and then building for them, not building for yourself. Beautiful said, beautiful said. Sas and Sadrus, I want you to also pay attention to this. You got to make a choice whether who you put first, you put your vision and your ambitions first, or do you put the real problem that you want to solve to the marketplace and really help those people get results? Sometimes it aligns, but a lot of times because you need to pivot, you got to make this choice to stay flexible if you really want to, to find the product market fit. Claudia, I wanted to go a bit deeper into your experience and what you learned when you are building Moonshot as well in terms of what kind of framework you see for yourself when you want to find the product market fit. Like if I was, let's say, if you were to meet Claudia from half a year ago that was just starting with Moonshot, what kind of advice you would give him? What kind of framework you would give him to, to help him achieve this faster? That, that's a great question. I think there's there's sort of two ways that, that I personally look at this. Number one is, especially as it comes to, I know we spoke about fundraising at the beginning and, and, and how you should think about fundraising, how you should think about like starting a company. And I like to use this analogy of like, you know, soccer, right? I'm, I'm a big soccer fan myself. And if you think about Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid, you know, my favorite team, favorite player, how do you win a game? It really comes down to how many shots and goal you can take, right? So when you think about a startup, when you think about fundraising, you really should think about like, okay, with this amount that I've raised, with this time that I have, how many shots on goal can I afford to take? Can I buy for myself? Can I generate, right? In, in a limited amount of time. So if you fundraise for 12 months and you only launch once, you took one shot on goal. So the chances of that actually helping you win the game, a little bit decrease, right? Because you may or may not score with that goal. Mm -hmm. But if you take 10 shots on goal, you increase your probability of success. As founders, you have to acknowledge, right? When starting a company, the odds are stacked against you. Like 90% of startups fail. So how do you beat the odds? How do you increase your probability of success? And it really comes down to like taking the most shots and goals you possibly can. So again, thinking about product market fit, thinking about startups, it really comes down to positioning yourself in a way that doesn't burn all your cash on this grand vision, on this one idea that's meant to solve everything, but rather puts in a position of like, let's take many shots and goals. Let's maximize our chances of stumbling upon something that actually works. So first framework is really around that. It's around like, let's be lean, let's launch quickly, right? Let's actually get something out there in the market and measure the response. And by doing that, I mean, uh, you asked me about Noonshot. We did that three times, right? Like in the last eight months, we've launched three completely different platforms. Uh, the problem that we originally started with is very different than what we're focusing on right now. But it was through that agility of like launching quickly. Like when we got funded, we launched two months from that and getting it in front of the market that we learned there's actually a bigger problem at play. Well, the problem is a little bit more nuanced. Let's tweak the parameters and then let's focus on what we're measuring, but we're getting a sense that it's closer to an actual problem that people have. 
That's, that's framework number one. Framework number two really comes down to like the amount of pivoting, whether at the very beginning you might, you will take larger pivots, right? Are you even in the correct problem space? Could be a question that you ask yourself. And as you start measuring and getting evidence within that problem space, you can start kind of filtering down into more nuanced kind of micro pivots that can help you just refine your product offering. So while at the beginning of Renewish Shout, we pivoted completely from one you know, problem space to another, now our pivots have more to do with like, what's, what's the exact segment that we're going after? What's the exact solution for that segment? And lastly, what's the messaging that will better align with that segment? So it almost thinks, think of it like a funnel, right? Like you start very broad and taking these like broad jumps around to try to figure out what even works and then, and then slowly refining into smaller jumps to help orient and ultimately isolate the exact problem space, you know, problem, segment, messaging, and solution that, that you're going for. Okay. Okay. So two frameworks, if I got this correctly, because I'm taking notes myself. One is to stay lean, to be able to launch as quickly and as frequently as possible. And the second one is around pivoting, around amount of pivots and the micro pivots within the testing period. Correct. Yeah. At the end, the second framework, yeah, really about refinement of your pivots. It's not, you won't be jumping, making big jumps anymore. Now you just, once you figure out something, some basic parameters of what works, you can focus mm-hmm. more on like fine tuning those, right? And getting closer and closer to, to something that works. But absolutely. I think, Claudio, the interesting topic to discuss is how do you know it works? Like, how do you know you find your product market fit? Because founders might get a bit lost into pivoting mm-hmm. all the time. They might release something, get some results, like, no, let's go for next one and let's go for next one. How do you know when it's time to stop? Okay, we have something here. We should explore further. We should we should stop at the grand vision and start pivoting micro micro steps. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's definitely a muscle that you have to train to start understanding what product market fit feels like. At the end of the day, there's no shortcut to, to, to train that muscle. And it really comes down to launching many, 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 many times, like in general, in your career, because that mm-hmm. fine tunes and trains you to get a sense of what it feels like to have product market fit. So again, it's it's very in contrast with let's build a grand vision where you only get one data point. How do you get more data points? Because over time, even before you start your company, right? Like working on a different company or, or previous attempts that you've had, those are additional data points that the more that you do them, the more that you begin to gain an intuitive understanding of what product market fit feels like. So that's number one is the more you do it, the more you'll train the muscle of, 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 of understanding what it's really like. Number two is just a more like, textbook definition, like how do, how do I define product market fit based on my experience? I'll give you an example. I think three weeks ago, we, we launched a sort of tool to help artists generate images with, with AI. You've heard about, you know, Stable Diffusion, uh-huh. DALI, yeah. Midjourney. We built sort of like a prompt helper that helps people kind of orient themselves around how to compose good queries for these kind of models. Overnight, we went from zero to about 300 daily active users. Minimal marketing. To date, we have not paid attention to that product at all. I cannot get rid of those users. They keep coming back every single day. Like I pull up the analytics, they're still there. Even though it's a product that we're not really paying a lot of attention to, it's more of an experiment on our end. That's what I would call product market fit, right? You try to get rid of your user. You start to push them away. You try to say like, we're not really going to support this product. Yet they keep coming back because it actually solves a problem for them, right? So it's the moment that you no longer have to push this boulder up a hill. It's the moment that it starts rolling back on you. And you're just running as fast as you can to figure out how do we hold on, you know, and how do we kind of keep up with, with, with all this growth. And, and again, I, I preface this with the first definition, which I think is more intuitive, right? It's more experiential. How do, how do I get to feel product market fit for the first time? Launch many times. 
But so, so that when, when it finally comes and you know it, you'll be able to then recognize it in other projects, right? Now that we did this, this experience, we know, okay, that's a framework for product market fit. That's what it feels like. Now, whenever we launch something new, we can very quickly assess, like, does this feel like it has the same ingredients of success of product market fit? Or does this feel kind of like a dud? It's a little bit dead. There's, there's not much traction. We have to push really hard. So again, if, if you get data points on, the, on both ends of the spectrum, it helps you kind of get an intuitive feeling for, for what that's like. Mm -hmm. So what, what you're saying is to truly know, to truly feel the product market fit, you need to launch something successful first to know what it feels like. But in general, in the, let's say in text, right, in, in what it says in the books, basically product market fit is the moment where you stop pushing for users to get to use your product. It's when they use it themselves and you almost like, you don't do any marketing to it. They just, they just keep returning. They just stick to your product. Yeah. And I would say it's nuanced, Vlad. It's, it's, it's when things start happening on their own, right? Not, not just in terms of users, but like, let's say you start getting press and like things are organically kind of like happening around you. People are reaching out to you because they have an idea because they think your company can help them in, in some way. And you're no longer in, in the sort of like emptiness of Twitter and the emptiness of the internet, right? You, you're, you're all of a sudden like have the spotlight on you in, in certain ways. And it happens very quickly. The shift, it just, it just sort of like organically people begin discovering you and you keep hearing these stories about how someone just magically stumbled upon your, your, your project when they weren't even expecting to. Word of mouth begins popping out. So even if you search Twitter for your company name and you see people actually having conversations conversations about you, those are great signs that you're like, you're, you're definitely getting closer. So I would say when things begin happening without you necessarily doing a lot of work to manifest them, right? It just organically, you know, begins, begins flourishing, you know, outside of your company. Got it. Got it. Well, when you say this, it reminds me of a couple of things when we got the product market fit for one of our apps for social media lead generation. It's when we started getting customers we don't know. We didn't mm -hmm. do promoted marketing. It was all organic. So we were connecting with people. We were taking our like, clients. We were fully customer funded. So we relied on building relationships with them. And when we saw people coming to us and we had no idea who they are. They just, they just found out about us and they love it. This is where we knew like, okay, it kind of can grow on it on its own. We don't need to push the boulder up the hill, like you said. So yep. it, it resonates, it resonates a lot. Claudio, if there was like one, the biggest advice you could give to any founder that wants to build their SaaS product and they're just about to start experimenting, just about to start launching, what would be the, the biggest advice you could give one advice that would prevent as many mistakes as possible for them? Yeah, I would just say launch quickly. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times, like even within a lead mindset where you 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 want to sort of focus on the definition of an MVP, right? And get that out, out of the door. There's a lot of scope creep that, that can come in, even as you're developing. Like, oh, it should all it should have these 10 features in order for it to be valuable, even though we're trying to be lean and even though it's trying to be an experiment. But I can't I can't emphasize how much just like ship something, like get something out of the door as quickly as possible. You know, and, and then after that, ship, ship, ship weekly. Like, how do you continue to deliver value to iterate that? So it really comes down to if you don't get it out of the door, you'll never be able to measure the impact of, of what you've built. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it, it definitely resonates because when I consult founders, when they're just in the beginning of their journey, when they're just thinking of idea, they don't even have like the roadmap for the product. What we're trying to do is identify like the core piece that really makes the difference in the product because they have like an idea for level seven. They have mm -hmm. all of these things. They want to build an Apple. They want to build a Microsoft and they have, and I think they have this plan for them. We always need to come back and say, let's focus on the first thing. Let's launch it as quickly as possible so we can measure it so we can either fail early or succeed early and we know this right so it's more like knowing instead of guessing i believe 
Yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's how do you gather data? It reminds me of the, the first iteration that we launched at Noonshot. We were essentially trying to be a, a Discord competitor, but in the Web3 space. So how do we embed you know, Web3 interactions within sort of like a messaging experience? Mm-hmm. So we launched that quickly, right? We launched that within a month and a half. And after getting it in front of people and iterating and continue to add features, one thing we learned is, A, most people were just trying us out of curiosity. Oh, this is a cool product. Let me see what it's like. And they would leave. So there was nothing like... There was no stickiness around the products that we learned, you know, by launching. There's no way we could have predicted that. And number two, we actually learned that like a lot of the requests that we got after that point were, well, I actually just want a great messaging platform. I don't care that much about the Web3 stuff that, that we're doing on top. I just want a great messaging experience. So what that tells me is like, even though in our mind, right, initially we were thinking of like, let's build this Microsoft experience, let's build this Apple experience, let's build this Discord experience in a specific use case. What people actually wanted was Discord. And what we would have had to do is replicate all of that just to provide a little bit of differentiation at the top that would probably not have been enough differentiation. So the fact that we launched quickly, we quickly got a sense, people don't really care that much in this context about the Web3 kind of interactions. They care more about the core messaging experience. That's not where we can win as a business. We don't have the billions of dollars in funding to recreate this or kind of compete with them. And But we did start asking those people, well, if that's not your problem, then what problems do you have? What are the other areas that you're struggling with? Why did this seem like interesting in the first place? What did you think it was going to solve for you? And then we started kind of shifting into like solving those problems instead and getting closer to problem market fit. So again, we talk about pivoting. We talk about starting with this kind of like bold vision, sure, but launching quickly, right? So you can get a sense of like the truth, not just your hypothesis about, you know, how the world should be. I, I love those topics. I, I get goosebumps when we speak about pivoting, shifting, especially. I, f- I feel like you're also very passionate about it because you're right in the process of it. So it's more, more like you just went out, just shared something with us and then go back and actually continue on that journey. So it's it's really inspiring. Claudio, I wanted to ask just a bit more questions, more on a personal side of things so that people can a bit more know you as a person, right? As a founder, because we know what's important in addition to our technical skills, our hard skills, to also be, also remain flexible. We, all, we always deal with people. There's a saying that the business is easy dealing with people. It's hard. People are always curious, like, what are the people that are in our SaaS Insiders community that, that we interview? So what kind of activities you enjoy getting outside of your work, work zone that makes you like zone out and actually relax with your brain? Yeah, I, I guess a, a way to think about it is also like everything we do in building companies and launching products, like it, it's usually very hard. It's very difficult work. It's very time consuming. We're spending these like 12 hour days just like in front of our computers and especially in COVID, right? We're like, you know, maybe people were just working from home for extended periods of time. So one thing I started doing is finding other ways to kind of get outside of this context. I recently hired a, a personal soccer coach. It was kind of like a, from my childhood, I always wished that I was a better soccer player. And I figured, you know what? I'm still young. I can still give it a shot. So I hired a coach. I'm doing a lot of like kind of personal training on the weekends, which gets my mind off of a lot of the, the technicality, the, the very kind of acidic kind of topics and very kind of dense you know, problems that we have to deal with. So I, I joined a couple of soccer leagues and I'm having like personal training and that gets me kind of disconnected, but it's also a little bit competitive. So it kind of keeps me engaged in a different way. So even if everything in the, in the startup is, is difficult, I can still feel like I'm making progress somewhere else, right? Challenging myself to, to just be the better, be a better version of myself in, in different areas. That's good. That's good. What I find is usually the mo- the best activities for that is the ones that you're really passionate about. So as you shared before, like your soccer fan, you like playing this as well. So this is kind of lets you focus on this and the rest is kind of goes away. It's good. I hope they don't invent uh, VR technology too early. Otherwise, you'll, you'll probably move the soccer sessions with your with your coach in the VR reality. You know, yeah, then you really outside. won't leave. Then you really won't leave your your, your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. No, let's let's hope let's hope it's not on the radar for at least a couple of years. 
one thing is, I know you started the new shot quite recently, so not like five years or 10 years ago, but still there were some learning experiences that you got before you got there. So if you wanted to accelerate your learning, if you wanted to accelerate your progress as a professional, as an individual, as a human, right? If you go back, let's say five years in time and meet yourself, what kind of advice you would give to yourself as a, as a founder to founder? Like if, if you had these thoughts, but you were kind of maybe confused or unknown in these areas, what would you tell to five years old younger yourself? Yeah, I mean, look, the only way to get better at something is to practice it, right? So when you, when you think about any skill, like I want to become a great pianist, you have to play piano, you have to practice piano, right? So being a founder is no different, right? If you want to become a great founder, what do you do? A lot of people kind of like say, oh, you should go and read my books or you should go and you know, take these courses and go and, and work in as a developer, work as a marketer, work you know, as a product manager in my case. But at the end of the day, that's not really practicing being a founder. That's practicing being a marketer. That's practicing being an engineer. So the only way to, to, to progress, I guess, similar to the pianist, like playing piano, you should found stuff. You should work on projects. You should build things. So I think the, the, the number one thing that accelerates you being a founder is to actually build and ship things, right? And getting comfortable with that loop of like idea, execution, and then launch and delivery. Because then you really start exercising the muscle of this end-to-end -end experience. So, uh, you know, I definitely have done that for, for, for a couple of years. I, I wish I did it more because I think it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not as hard as it seems, it's not as intimidating. And the only way to become good as a founder is to practice being a founder. Beautiful, well said, well said. Sass Insiders, just want to mention, because this is really important to hear, if you want to become a better founder, if you want to become a great founder, the best way to do it is to become a founder. Not go to be a marketer, not go to be an engineer, because the only thing you want to get, you get better is as this skill. Founder is much more than just a very particular one. You become an ultimate generalist and uh, you need to get comfortable with a lot of things that you can only get in the founder experience. So push that button and, and just, and just go for it. Yeah. And to be for clear, I don't think, I don't think that it's necessarily like conflicting with each other. I think you can, you can do all these things in parallel, right? Like even if you are working somewhere today and you haven't really taken the leap to become a founder just yet, like there's nothing stopping you from spending your nights and weekends being curious, launching stuff, building stuff in your free time and beginning to exercise the muscle, right? That's what, what matters here. It's like, let's put in the practice. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I definitely acknowledge it. it'll take people different amounts of time, depending on where you are in your life. Sometimes you have a lot of responsibilities and bills to pay, you know, family to take care of, and that will prevent you from taking the leap, but that shouldn't prevent you from continuing to get closer to your ideal of becoming a great founder. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear a lot of this advice. Like if you were to go to Reddit and ask the entrepreneur Reddit, like how do I become a better founder? They say like, go get a job at the marketing and you'll know how to market your product. Well, that, that brings you closer, but you still need to practice in your free time, just like you said, right? So, so you have this experience and not just isolate it into training just one muscle. You need to develop the full, the full body. Yeah, that, that's uh, exactly it. One thing I'm curious about is like, you probably read books just like every founder or watch some movies. Maybe you have some inspirational figures in the entrepreneurial journey that helped you get the right mindset, the right knowledge. If you were to highlight a couple of them, maybe that's a book, maybe that's, that's an entrepreneur who inspired you and gave you that direction where you want to go. Maybe you can give a couple names so people can, can also learn from those. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a lot of the uh, the common literature that I think a lot of people have probably already recommended here that you should read. Lean Startup is definitely one of them, just to become familiar with like the frameworks and you know validated learning is a key concept there around. Yeah, you sure you have you have hypotheses in your startup, but again, you need to launch something and measure it and, and see how that works. So 
it goes along with everything that we've spoken about today. The Innovator's Dilemma has been another, another instrumental book for me. All the writings of Clay Christensen, you, you know, about both uh, disruptive innovation theory and jobs to be done frameworks have been really paramount in terms of like how to think about market dynamics and, and where we can compete as startups. Why do startups win in a marketplace, especially when you have well-funded companies like Apple and Google launching products all the time? How do you win as a startup? Like what are the fundamentals that create the gaps in the market for new entrants to come in and win? So the innovator dilemma answers those questions. And I think it, it, it helps provide a framework for, for looking at the world and seeing, seeing it more with the eyes of opportunity, uh, especially as a founder that, that, that's instrumental. The last thing I'll say about, and this has probably been one of the most helpful resources for me, a lot of the Y Combinator literature, they have, I mean, if you don't know about Y Combinator, they are the most prominent early stage accelerator in the world. They've, they've incubated and accelerated companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, DoorDash, and, and so on. So a lot of their educational content really comes from the perspective of like, how do you go from zero, from an idea to building a massive, massively successful company? They have a lot of content out there on YouTube podcasts, the more that you get to hear the stories from these founders, right, around specific areas of the business, right? We, saw, we, we spoke today about product market fit. They do as well, right? How do you achieve product market fit? How do you build product? How do you build engineering teams? How do you deal with growth? How do you talk to customers, right? How do you get insights for further customer development? How do you market your product? How do you grow? All those are questions that they have a lot of content around. And I think one thing that I did for myself was sort of embrace this notion of like, how do I brainwash myself, right? So that subconsciously, I become and embody a lot of these learnings that you know have already been lived. Like I'm, you know, we're not inventing marketing here. We're not inventing product market fit. We're just applying learnings from those that have come before us. We're discovering a couple of new things along the way, sure. But the more that you become immersed and you stop, you know, trying to figure it out on your own, but rather like build on top of things that have already been solved or iterate on top of that, I think it'll definitely accelerate your path. Um, so you don't have to run into the same, you know, roadblocks along the way. I think what you're saying is we should master emptying our cup in a way, right? Because when our cup is full, we cannot put any more lear learning on top of that. We have our own biases on how things should work, trying to invent it ourselves. Sometimes it stops you from really consuming the, the content and the, the information that we really learn. Is that aligned with what you're saying? Yeah, I would also say like it has to do with like your data hygiene. Look, if you think about it from like a machine learning perspective, like mm -hmm. the, 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 the training data set, that you train a specific model with will determine the quality of the predictions that you get in the future, right? If you feed in a bunch of bad images, you get to get a bad image generator model, right? So if you treat yourself as an AI model, and in many ways we are intelligences, right? That, that receive information inputs every day. We go through life, we observe things, we learn from that and we apply. What is the best source of content that you can ingest to train yourself subconsciously to think about these problems in the best way possible or the, the way that's going to improve your probabilities of success the most? Well, number one, that comes from successful founders, like who has already done this, right? And what can I learn from them? What can I learn? How, what are the patterns that enable them to succeed? So I think what Y Combinator does really well is they have this collection of success, like massively successful founders, right? That the more that you get to listen from that, the more that you get to train your model and the more that when you have to apply these things in the real world, you're kind of ready intuitively. You've heard about the right, you know, the right things to focus on, the right advice, and you sort of start developing this sort of like, again, sub subconscious way of like doing startups. So I couldn't recommend it more than just like become immersed, right? Become immersed in this in information space. And then it won't be immediately obvious how you can apply it, but over the long run, you'll have a better model, right? That will make better predictions and empower you to be a better founder. 
I like how we talk about humans that are similar to AI and not vice versa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how, how we learn from AI, how we work. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing, Claudio, I wanted to know is what do you think is your definition for success? I know in uh, different stages of our life, we define it differently. For someone, it's personal. For someone, it's financial. For someone, it's career. What do you think is success for you at, at this stage of your journey? Yeah, I mean, wow, that's a great question. And I think like you mentioned, that there's definitely has changed over time. I think a lot of us kind of look at startups as like, here's our lottery ticket for becoming massively wealthy and massively successful. And that's, in many ways, uh, it's true. You work really hard. You you compress a lot of your career success into a couple of years instead of, you know, stretching it to 40 years and then retiring or, or, or something like that. But uh, at the end of the day, something that I've realized is, you know, I think at the end, like we're already, if you work in technology, if you already get a decent paycheck, like you already live a comfortable life, right? Like sure, you can you can make more money, less money, and it kind of be around that range. But if you're already comfortable, then money becomes less of a motivator. I mean, there, there's a lot of studies in this that there's a diminishing kind of returns kind of chart in terms of like, for every additional $10,000 that you make a year after, you know, something like 80K, you don't really get the, the, the benefit or the kick in anymore. So it really like to be a founder, you need to have like an intrinsic reason why you're doing this, right? Especially because it's going to be hard. It's going to be a long journey. You're going to face a lot of adversity, like again, 90% chance of failure in most startups. So like, how do you overcome that? For me, what I've discovered recently is I think for one, I've understood that I have a unique ability to simplify problems, to solve problems, to bring people together and to deliver great products. So for me, it's, it's this journey of like, how do I apply myself, my gifts, my talents to build something that helps push the world a little bit further, whatever that means. In our case right now, we're, we're helping creators you know, monetize and, 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 and have direct-to-consumer relationships through Noonshot. But it really comes down to the team and us, us as people, right? Like, how do I take care of my team? How do I help my team grow? And how do we use our, our, our gifts and our skills to push humanity just a little bit further. So, I mean, that's something we can do regardless of industry, regardless of stage. And that's something that I think keeps me going in terms of like why I'm really doing this. Why do I subject myself to all this adversity, all this pain, all this uh, all this difficulty? And it really comes down to this, that that personal reason, I think it's my purpose is to just manifest and and, and, and help use the gifts that I've been given to, to progress things a little bit more. Got it, got it. So on top of just, let's say, financial stability and the comfortable level of life, you find success and having a purpose to, if I'm finding purpose in your work and what you do from day to day, right? Yeah, I think absolutely. Like once you hit a certain baseline of financial success, you really have to dig a little bit deeper into finding your true why, your true purpose. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like it's, it really comes down to, to having a purpose, discovering what that means for you and how you can be of use and of help and of positive contribution to society and to others. And if we bring this conversation full circle to what it means to find product market fit, it means to like learn from people, right? Like what problems do people have in the world? And how can I apply my skills as a founder to solve those problems? That's what product market fit is, right? So it's very aligned and it really comes down to like being, having a mindset of like service, like putting the world out there first, right? Putting your ego second and just, just being of contribution to others, to your environment, to the world and helping, helping leave things a little bit better than we found them at the end of the day. That sounds like something that sounds inspiring. Claudio, I always want to touch the topic with my guests on how our community can help them grow. Because the people that are watching us, SaaS insiders, there, some of them have their own SaaS products already and they're in the process of finding product market fit. Some of them are working their job and just experimenting with SaaS in their free time, just like you said. So they all have a very particular set of skills 
right? And uh, they're really diverse. So I was wondering what kind of challenges you and Nonshot are currently experiencing. Maybe there are some gaps that you're looking to help with so our community could potentially reach out and help. Yeah, so look, it's different every day. Uh, as a startup, you go through many cycles. Currently, we're, we're fundraising to, again, uh, lengthen our runway just a little bit more to continue to build and continue to deliver value. But we're also looking to grow our team you know, shortly after that. So, I mean, if you know anyone looking to, to invest in Web3, uh, we would love to hear from them. If you are interested and have some skills that, that you think might be valuable to our company, please do reach out. We'd love to connect with, with, with the community and, and there might be an opportunity to work together in the future. Okay, wonderful. What would be the best way to founders and, and professionals to get in touch with you and, and learn more about you, your company, and what you're doing at Nonshot? Yeah, look, I, I actually took a social media break for a couple of years. I'm finally back on Twitter. So Twitter would be like a great way to, to find me. You can find me at, uh, at Claude underscore Fuen. That's at C-L-A-U-D underscore F-U-E-N. Claudia, to kind of wrap up, any any last thoughts, any ideas that we could give to the audience to for them to get the maximum value from from watching this episode with you? Ooh, that's a loaded question. I mean, there's there's so much to say. Look, we can spend an entire day talking about startups where it needs to be a founder. I would I would definitely say don't be afraid to try. I mean, I, I definitely look at my life in terms of like you know regret minimization and and how do I get to try the things that I've always wanted to try. So if you have an idea, if you have uh, an intuition that you may be able to to build something interesting, give it a shot. I think there's there's nothing to lose, especially in, in, in today's age where we're hyper connected. We it's it's easier than ever to start a company. I think a lot of us can actually do that from our houses where we couldn't before. So again, just like get in the habit of like building cool things, shipping them, seeing what happens, and and, and get to exercise that muscle. It's 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 very rewarding at the end of the day to have built something and have and seeing other people use it and knowing that that you you were able to create value in someone's life. So for those of you who have experienced that, I think you've you you can you can you can align and 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 resonate with that. For those of you who haven't, I highly recommend it. I think it it makes you get up every morning looking forward to something. Awesome. Awesome. SaaS Insiders, don't be afraid to try. That will be the message for our episode today. Claudio, I thank you so much for taking your time with us today and sharing those insights. Vlad, thanks so much for having me.